So we're doing our series on loving your neighbor and, and how to have these different types of relationships that the Lord calls us to be in. And we've talked about hospitality, which is hosting people specifically, mostly for uh, meals at our home and just how that builds relationship, how actually sharing a meal together is church, that that's what we do. We've talked about your Norman. We watched the video of a man called Norman and you probably know who your Norman is, lives on your street, or maybe it's somebody in this church or somebody in your family that you're taking care of that can't take care of themselves, somebody that needs a real friend, something more than charity or sympathy, somebody who needs real, genuine love to be in Jesus' name. So we've talked about all that. Today, what I want to talk to you about is friendship, and I want to start with some passages from C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. And this is uh, his comments on friendship. So again, this is C.S. Lewis. The book is The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. If you love anything, your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even a pet animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, but at all costs, avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. Your heart will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy or at least the risk of a broken heart, the alternative to not loving is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and problems of love is hell. You've heard me say before that in this world, the most painful thing there is is love. And there isn't a single one of us who hasn't been brokenhearted by somebody that we loved that did the wrong thing, that hurt us, that left us, that cheated on us, that abused us in some way. So I know you all know what I'm talking about. Love is the most painful thing there is. Therefore, it is the most expensive thing there is. Therefore, it is the most valuable thing there is. But C.S. Lewis says if you're going to love anyone, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to have to make yourself vulnerable to trust somebody. So the only way to not have a broken heart is to lock your heart up in the dark in your selfishness and it won't break. It will become rock hard. If you just say, I don't care. I quit caring. I give up. I'm, I can't deal with this. You won't find a peaceful, painless existence. You will end up in hell. Continuing on, C.S. Lewis writes, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. Few people, few modern people, value friendship love because very few experience it. The ancient world in the Bible and just ancient world culture saw friendship as a higher love even than marriage. 
that friendship between two women or two men was higher even than marriage because it is the most unnecessary relationship there is. It's the most unnecessary love. We can survive without it. Can't survive, you wouldn't have been conceived and born without romantic love. You wouldn't have been reared without family love. But we can physically survive without friendship. So most people do. C.S. Lewis said very few people actually have a real friend. Some of you aren't aware of that, but a lot of you don't have a friend. Not the way the Bible defines it. C.S. Lewis writing, Few modern people value friendship love because very few experience it. The possibility of going through life without the experience is rooted in the fact that separates friendship so sharply from both of the other loves. Friendship is the least natural of all love. It's the least instinctive, the least organic, the least biological, the least gregarious and necessary. Without romantic love, none of us would have been begotten, and without affection, none of us would have have any family. But we can live and breed without friendship. Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more companions discover they have in common some insight or interest or taste which the others do not share, and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. C.S. Lewis says, Friendship is created when you find out somebody else cares about something as much as you do. Maybe that's prayer. Maybe it's revival. Maybe it's model trains. Whatever it is, when you find somebody whose heart carries the same passion or burden or concern or solution to an issue that yours does, that's friendship. All of a sudden you have found somebody who Anne of Green Gables would call a bosom friend. (laughs) Somebody who's got the same heart you do. That's what that means. That's friendship. The shared activity and therefore the companionship on which friendship grows will not often be a physical activity like hunting or boxing. It may be a common religion, a common study, a common profession, or even a common recreation. All who share it will be our companions, but one or two or three will share something more, and those will be our friends. In this kind of love, as Emerson said, do you love me, means do you see the same truth, or at least do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us on some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance, can be our friend. He need not agree with us about the answer. Here's what C.S. Lewis means. We will find friendship when we find somebody who cares as much as us about the most important thing in our heart. We don't even have to agree with that person on every issue, but the fact that they think it's as important as I do, we're now friends. Somebody who likes to mull over politics. You may not even agree on the politics, but you just love the discussion. Hello? Somebody whose burning passion is to fight abortion. You find somebody else, you may not agree on how to do that or what it is, but you're friends. Somebody whose burning passion is children's ministry or prayer or revival or, like I said, model trains or motorcycles. If that's what you live for and somebody else does, all of a sudden, friendship forms. 
He says, we don't even have to necessarily agree. You just have to care the same about the same thing. People who simply want friends can never have one. This is really important. Somebody who just wants a friend cannot make a friend. This is what you get at the bar and the nightclub, is people who go to be around people and make friends, but they're all completely alone because they don't have anything in common except for the fact that they're lonely. Hello. The reason the rave club is full with thousands of people and the strobe lights and the lasers and the blasting music is because there are 3,000 completely alone people in the room. And they're there because they want to be in the crowd, but they actually don't have any relationship with anybody there. It's why we go to the, they go to the bar to get drunk. It's drink away my sorrows and my loneliness, and we're going to do it together. We don't really have any friends. People who want a friend won't make one. The very condition of having friends is that you have something besides friendship, meaning you have, there has to be something to build your friendship on. You can't just go to somebody and say, I want to be your friend. That's weird. That's creepy. I pick you. The fact that you like somebody does not mean you're friends. Friendship arises when you care the same passion level. I don't like using that word, but we'll have to. You have the same interest, the same concern, the same passion for the same issue. You will become friends. The question is, do you see the same truth that I see? The answer is, if the answer is, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth, I only want you to be my friend, there is no friendship. It's why so often we can't really have friends that aren't Christians. We're just so totally not on the same level at all. We can be really nice and we can have acquaintances and we can have fun together. And in fact, there's a lot of times I like hanging out with non-Christian people more than I do Christians. That's another sermon. But we cannot have real friendship with somebody who doesn't love Jesus as much as you. Not really. So there's nothing for the friendship to be about, back to C.S. Lewis. And the friendship must be about something, even if it is only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be my friend. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is completely unnecessary. But like philosophy and art, it has no survival value, but it is the thing that gives value to survival. Let me say that again. Friendship is completely unnecessary. But like philosophy and art, it has no survival value, but it is the thing that gives value to our survival. Come on, we only live for other people. The only reason we do anything is because of other people. Sarah laughed at me this week. There was a context to it, but I'm not going to tell you. But I said, you know, the only reason I mow our lawn is for our kids and our neighbors. The only reason we do anything is because of other people. And when we lose relationship, 
We lose a reason to live. I suppose some of you have felt that before too. Friendship is the thing that gives value to our survival. Back to C.S. Lewis. In friendship, we think that we have chosen our friends. But in reality, a few years difference in the dates of our birth or a few more miles between certain houses or the choice of one university instead of another or being assigned to a different regiment in the military or the accident of a topic that was raised or not raised the first time we met, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Seriously, I have weird thoughts like this. What if my best friend lives in Ohio? Well, guess what? My best friend doesn't live in Ohio, and I don't not know that person. My best friend lives here in the valley. Because God arranges things. It is total haphazard chance that people move around and you get this job and you go to this uh, military or you go to this school or whatever, and then we meet these people that, that have meant so much and have... Great fellowship, sometimes. That's not an accident. That's God. Why does God do that? Because God is not enough for us. You've heard me say this so many different times in so many different ways. God is not enough. I know we just sang that in the song, and I know there's a really awesome Bethel worship song you're all I need, but it's patently untrue. When God and Adam had perfect fellowship, God says, I'm not enough for you. You need another person. Yes, you contain the Holy Spirit, but you don't contain all of God. Together, we contain God. Hello? We have to have each other. We absolutely have to have each other. God says, it is not good that you're alone. Even when Adam and he were in perfect communion. God says, I'm not enough for you. You have to have another person to relate with. James 5 says, we have to confess our sins to one another. Ephesians 2 says, we are fitted together for the dwelling place of God. There is no Lone Ranger Christian and your own communion with God is not enough for you. You have to have a pastor. You have to have teachers. You have to have friends. For God to do all that he wants to do in you. Your communion, your relationship with him is not enough. There are so many well-meaning, good, spiritual, real, faithful Christians out there who are totally lonely. And they think, why am I lonely? I should be fulfilled in God. Because you can't be fulfilled by yourself. We have to have friends. Back to C.S. Lewis. The friendships that God gives us are not our reward for being a good person. It is God's instrument in which he reveals your beauty through other people. Your beauties are not greater than any one of a thousand other men, but by your friendship, God opens your eyes to them. They are, like all beauties, derived from him, and then in a good friendship, increased by him through the friendship itself, so that he is the instrument of creating the friendship as well as revealing the friendship. At this feast, it is he who spreads the table and it is he who has chosen the guests. It is he, we may dare to hope, who sometimes does and always should preside. So let us not reckon without our host. It is God's 
plan for us to have friends. He is the orchestrator of the street you live on, where you and who you work with, who you go to church with. It is not an accident that you are here in this room right now. This is the group of people he has planted you with. And he could have put you in any church in Indiana or Idaho or Arizona, but you're here. So that means the most important people in your life, other than your biological family, are right here in this room. We need friendship. We need each other. 1 Corinthians 13 says we prophesy in part. And we know in part. And Ephesians 2 says together, all of us, are being built into the house of God. There is not a single one of us who has a grip on all of God. We need each other. For encouragement, for faith, for teaching, for just for companionship. Just for the sake of friendship. Because it's good. Because it's beautiful. Proverbs 17, 17 says... A friend loves at all times, and there is a friend who is closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24 says the same thing. I know you've probably heard the phrase, brothers from different mothers. There is a depth of friendship that can happen that is even closer than family. Some of you live in fantastic close families. Others of your families are disasters. But regardless... There, are, there is something very special about friendship that is different than family. It's different than marriage. It's different than romantic love. And like I said, in the Bible, our, the, the example is Jonathan and David. But other examples would be Jesus and John and Jesus and Peter. In the Bible and in the ancient world in general, friendship was considered to be the highest love that there is. Because it's a love completely of choice. It's not family, where you have to love the people you're born into. We have to get along. In Proverbs 27, 6, there's the wounds of a friend are faithful. There's a friend that you can have that's so close, they know you very, very well. And she can say things to you that your husband cannot. Maybe he wishes he could say them. But your friend can say them, and it may really sting, but you're like, eh, thank you, I needed to hear that. Hello? There's a friend that you can have that can say things your wife can't. And, you know, your friend may bust your cheek, but in the end you say, thank you, I'm a better man for it. Because friendship does what Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God is not enough. We need another person who knows us really well and loves us no matter what, who can say, stop that. And it may make you upset, but you don't leave the friendship. You know you're better for it. Somebody that will hold you accountable. This is not an authority figure, like a parent or a pastor or a coach. It's not somebody you are ministering to because that's just an effort to stay in control. Friendship is two equal people choosing to
to stay in relationship, come what may, because I like you, I love you, we care about the same things, and we're going to walk through life together. And I'm not giving up on you. That's friendship. You don't need very many friends. One or two will make your life very, very rich and full. In fact, the more friends you have, the less you have, really. The more friends you have, the less you have. Because by definition, your relationships are shallow. You can't have real fellowship, real heart koinonia with more than one or two people. Jesus picked his friends. You can too. Of course, we want to be nice to everybody, and we want to be good, have good manners with everybody, and we want to be pleasant with everybody, but you don't have to like everybody. You don't have to know everybody. You don't have to treat everybody the same. Jesus didn't. He had his crowds of thousands that would show up to hear him preach and see the miracles and be fed the bread, but then he had his group of 70 who were the people that he anointed and trusted to go out in his name and do his ministry. And in that group of 70, there was 12. He didn't reject the other 58. It was just, these are the 12 I pick. The scripture says he brought those near him whom he wanted. He picked, these 12 are the ones I want. And then in those 12, there was a group of three, John and James and Peter. Yes? And then John says, I was the one he loved the most. <laughs> he writes that after Peter and James are dead. <clears throat> but Jesus didn't treat people the same. He had his very best friends. He had a close circle of associates. He had a larger circle of associates. And then he had people that he ministered to and he took care of, but they weren't his friends necessarily. He loved them, but they weren't his friends. You've got to get this for yourself. You're not supposed to treat everybody the same. You're not supposed to have a great big circle of trusted bosom friends. One or two people that really, truly, honestly know you, warts and all, that you really get a lot of life from this relationship. That's your friendships. When we're out in public at work or in our neighborhood or here at church, most of what we do is, hi, how you doing? Great, good, have a good week. All right, see you later. And I know that quite a few of you are distressed by that. It's a topic that continually comes up in church life is, is how do we create real fellowship? How do we create real relationship? Because the Sunday morning, it's just shaking hands and saying hi and smiling and you say you're good even when you're not because you don't have time to get into it all. And nobody wants to have me blubber on their shoulder anyway. And you know what? That's right. It's true. If there is one sure way to never have friends, it's to always complain and talk about your problems right up front. That's not honesty. That's bad manners. You know the people that barf on you on Facebook. And they're always just, bleh. Here's, and they just complain about their problems. And they whine and grumble. You don't want to be their friend. You know the people that talk too much and they're a gossip. You don't want to be their friend. You're not going to trust them. You know, you're all looking like deer in the headlights. But you know, you know what I mean. It is a necessity, it is right, and it is good 
that the majority of your social interaction during the day is, hi, how you doing? Great. God bless you. Have a great day. That's a blessing. You cannot know everybody you meet in Walmart and everybody you see at school and everybody at church on this deep of a level. That's a completely unrealistic expectation. Jesus didn't do that. He loved people and he cared for them and he ministered to them. But in groups, thousands at a time. And then he had his close group of friends that he brought nearer who loved him and knew him and he knew them and they spent hours and hours and days and years together. It's not fake to come to church or to go to work or go to school. Hi, how you doing? Good. That might not be completely true, but that's just good manners. Nobody wants to be barfed on and hear all your problems. Everybody's got their own. Hello? Okay, I'm talking about friendship now in relationship. I'm not talking about ministry time like we just had. That's, that's a whole different deal. Just let it, let it flow. All right, there's ministry, but I'm talking about in friendship relationship, social interaction. Okay, so the majority of our people, colleagues at work, people at church, they're not your friends. They don't need to be your friends. We just gather together in, at work or school or church or whatever, and you know them. But in those interactions, you'll meet somebody that, like, hey, I really like that person. I think there's something there. And what do you do? You invite them out to eat. See how all this comes together? You invite them over to your home, and you talk, and you're like, oh, hey, they care about the same things as me. They've been in the same place, or they're doing the same things, and we have these things in common, and let's go a little deeper. Let's do this again. Let's, let's see if we can trust each other. Let's see if we have fun. Let's see if it's relaxing and equal, and both parties want it, and so on, and what I am learning is, because I'm 42 and not 22 anymore, what I'm learning is that the very most important key to friendship is time. I am such of a personality, it's just hilarious to me that God has me teach on relationship all the time because I'm such not a relational person. I am an introvert, I'm private, I, I, I get recharged by being alone. Um, but God has me preach on relationship all the time, I guess because it'll be him and not me. I am the kind of person who likes deep conversation. I like meaningful conversation. I hate small talk. I'm really bad at it. And I, go, I don't have to do a whole lot of that here at church. Things generally go pretty deep pretty fast in our conversations, but and I go to school or I'm out in the world and it's, hi, how you doing? I hate that. And I'm not very good at it, and I, I don't know how to have conversation very easily, and I actually read. I read leadership books. I read social skill stuff because it's so not me. And I'm going to pass some of that on to you next Sunday. But right, I'm passing on some of it right now. I, well, I'm the guy who wants to dive off the high dive at the deep end of the pool right from the beginning. That's like, boom, let's go. What I have learned through some stuff with Josh and some stuff with Ken and, and the book that, that we're reading is that's not the way people interact. It's not normal. 
And it isn't, it actually doesn't work. So Josh and I have had numerous conversations where we've judged people as being shallow when they weren't shallow, we just didn't know them. You've done that too. And it takes time to get to know somebody, which is one of the main reasons Jesus says, don't judge somebody. Because the more we know, the less we judge. The less we know, the quicker we are to judge somebody. Relationships take time, and it's kind of like wading into the pool from the shallow end. You dip your toe in, like, oh, okay, we can trust each other this much. Okay, now we can say this. Okay, now we can say this, and we can go there, and we can do this, and we can have this experience. But really, it's truly just time. Years or or decades of living with people and raising our kids together and and memories that we've created at their homes and in this room and and with their with kids and pictures and and it creates relationships sort of accidentally. Let me put it all together for you as best I can. C.S. Lewis says, you can live without friendship. You can let the urgency of your job and the busyness of your family stuff rule your life. And you can live a friendless life. If you're going to create a friendship, you have to put yourself out there. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might even be painful if you get used or mistreated or whatever. But if you are willing to risk loving, if you're willing to get over your awkwardness and get out of your schedule and invite people into your home, invite them out to eat even after this service today and make new contacts make new relationships some people you'll have an interaction with them or a meal with them and you think hmm that was nice but i'm not feeling any mojo great fine you don't have to be friends with everybody but you do that enough times somebody will click somebody will like hey let's do that again i like that guy I, we like that couple or however the case may be. She seems like somebody she, that I could trust and we care about these things and I didn't know that about her and let's go have coffee again. And over time, friendship develops. Relationship occurs. Trust grows. And in the end, you have a friend or two after years of shared memories, of common experiences, of supporting each other through whatever life throws at you. And you can have this in your marriage, but I'm not talking about marriage right now. You, you can be great friends with your spouse, but I'm talking about friendship outside of family. You can have this with your brother or your sister, but I'm talking about somebody outside of all that. You can have a relationship that adds so much depth and richness and beauty to your life. No one owes you that. And if you want it just to want it, as C.S. Lewis said, that won't work. You have to actually build the friendship on something. So what is it that you care about? Find somebody else that cares about the same things and friendship will, will grow. It will happen. But give it time. 
Pastor Josh and I and Stacy and Sarah, I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, but we belong to MFI, the Ministers Fellowship International is our group of churches and pastors. And Josh and I have this repeated frustration every time we go to one of the conferences that fellowship is in the name of the group. And every time we feel alone, we feel frustrated, we don't have fellowship. And I just realized after nine years, I just realized this year why Josh and I would go to this and we would feel alone. It's because we only get together twice a year. And so for 36 hours or 48 hours, twice a year, we're together with guys from, couples from uh, Montana, Idaho, Nevada, Washington, and Oregon. What are we supposed to do? We're not going to just bear our souls over dinner when I haven't seen you for six months. Hello? So it's the same thing in plugging into a church. You may feel very alone for a while. I think all of us have gone through that, of trying to plug into a new church. I like what happens here, but I don't, something missing in how I feel when I'm there. And you could feel the same thing at a ball game or a concert. You're in a crowd of thousands, but all of a sudden, intense loneliness sweeps over you. That's not the way God meant us to live, but it takes a lot of work. You know the old cliche, the only way to have a friend is to be one. Well, be one. Put yourself out there. Get out of your schedule and make relationships. Some of them won't work, and that's fine. But some of them will. And a few of them will be very, very meaningful. And you'll find God. I said you will find God in a way that you will never find him by yourself. You will experience God in real friendship in a way you will never experience him in your own private prayer time or in church worship. In the love of a friend who loves you enough to call you on your BS and you thank them for it rather than cut them off you will find God in a way you will never find God on your own. And your life will be so much richer and sharper than it otherwise would have been. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for friends. Thank you that you are a friend that is closer than a brother. Thank you that you did not call us to walk alone, that you've put us in a family, you've put us in a church family, that you have friends for us, to live life with, to walk in real fellowship, deep, rich, meaningful, fulfilling friendship. Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, that you would reveal who that is if maybe they don't know. Maybe some of them do know exactly who it is because it's already happened. Lord, I think that a lot of people in the room right now don't know who that would be. So I pray, Lord, that you create friendship in our hearts that you be the master of ceremonies, that you be the orchestrator of steps and events to lead us into those rich and deep, meaningful, supportive and fulfilling friendships that you have for us. Just for the sake of friendship is it is not good that we live alone. You have someone else to be our friend. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you are the friend above all others. That you are the one that is more faithful than a brother. Thank you that you will lead us into all that you have for us. I bless each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.